New Year's resolution number one, if you tell yourself you're going to go to the gym and study, what that, what that really means is that you're only allowed to overeat or nap instead, not both at the same time. Now I'm going to skip that one till the end, okay. My New Year's resolution, this is Megan Kelly Dunn, my New Year's resolution is to be more assertive. If that's okay with you guys, question mark? Sean Booth's New Year's resolution is to try to put less than four chapsticks through the washer and dryer next year. (laughs) This one's a grammatical joke. It says, New Year's resolution, exercise, my right, to eat more tacos. So there's some parenthetical, it doesn't work unless it's on the screen. I've seen, Brad Williams says, I've seen six people post that their New Year's resolution is to lose weight. I can think of a slightly more useful one for them. And then my favorite one of these is Bread Terry, who says, my New Year's resolution is for you all to mind your own business more. (laughs) Carrie said, that's not funny. It's like, yeah, it is. Do you do New Year's resolutions? I get a lot of shaking heads, no. No, we don't do that. Somebody said, I I like to share my New Year's resolutions with my friends. That way I can recognize just how little they care about what I've said. Please keep me accountable for. (laughs) I actually do like, not resolutions, but to to have a a focus for the year. I, I do like to sort of plan ahead and think and go, What is my focus going to be this year? I think we make a lot more progress spending a full year zeroed in, focusing in on one central theme or topic or area of growth than we do uh, sort of, this week I'm excited about this truth. Do you know what I mean? And so I know that it's not balanced to spend a whole year focused on one thing, but it might lead to more growth in that area than if we were to balance out our focus. Does that make sense? So as I'm approaching 2017, I was sort of praying and asking, what are the areas where I want to grow? And one theme has emerged for me, and that is the gospel's very, very clear that in Jesus, we now have been restored to a relationship with God as as a loving father. So that God is not just a father, but he's a certain kind of father. And we're not just sons and daughters, but we're certain a certain proximity. That is, in Galatians and in Romans, when Paul gets to the heart of the gospel, he says that now we're no longer, in, in, in Galatians, no longer uh, slaves, but now we're sons. And in Romans, he says that now we've received the spirit of sonship by which we cry, Abba. Now, Abba is the word for Daddy. I remember being in college and one of my friends said it really bothers him when people don't reverence God when they pray. And he said, yeah, God is your father, but never, it would never be reverent to call him your dad. Like I've read in my Bible where Paul said the spirit prompts us to cry out daddy. But it it offended my friend. 
He, God's so holy, God's so big and glorious, he, he felt it was presumptuous that not only should you call God Father, but you should call God Father and pronounce it a certain way. Father. And not my father, but our father. That dude needed an upgrade. There, big time. So, so for me, as I teach on some of these things, I sometimes come into the reality that I go, you know what, I, I know this doctrinally, but I want this to be a, a, a part of, of what I'm bearing fruit in. Do you know what I mean? Like, the kingdom's not a matter of talk. It's about what you're manifesting. The, the kingdom is about what has bearing, is bearing fruit in your life, and what is bearing fruit in your life is what you know you believe. Not what you say you believe, not what you confess with your mouth, but what you actually confess with your mouth and believe with your heart, and then Holy Spirit sculpts and makes that a reality that bears fruit in your life in terms of attitudes, actions, words, and, and life will back up what you say you believe when it's, when it's reality. So for Paul, he says, I'm not interested in what these people, like he's in a conflict with the Corinthians. And he says, look, I'm, I'm not interested in what, what y'all say. I'm going to come visit you, and we're going to see who's got the power. We're going to see what's real when I see your lives. And then we're going to know. So I, I'm interested in knowing God intimately as Abba, intimately as Abba, so that my heart naturally and easily even relates to God through everyday life in such a way that he has access to shape and train me. So that would be the focus that I would like to pursue. I know that some of you have wondered what's going on with the beard. Um, and others of you are properly impervious. You don't care, and that's appropriate. I don't see why you should. But, but some of you have noticed and, and, and asked about it. And actually, the beard is a part of this little, little cluster of convictions that I'm trying to throw myself into right now. And one of them is, I want to I know God intimately as Abba. Now, how do you do that? You got to relate to him like that. You got to fellowship with that reality daily. You got to, re- do you understand what I'm saying? It's not about going, I'm going to put a couple passages up in my car. I'm going to look to, I'll see him occasionally and that'll do it. No, it's deeper than that. I've got to actually become rooted in that reality. So, so this is something I'm going after. With discipline. And another piece of this is just the word intimacy. I'm convinced that we were not created for ministry, but that ministry is supposed to be a byproduct of intimacy. And last night, I, I got really, really emotional thinking about the distinction between preaching and, and the gospel. I'm, this is free, okay? So if this doesn't help you, it did help me, but of course, I preach a lot. I'm not supposed to love preaching. I'm supposed to love the gospel. And if you love the gospel, what you preach will be pure and good. But if you love preaching, your motives can be all out of whack. And I go through seasons where I don't love preaching. But that's, who cares? What matters is do I love the gospel? I really want to go after the root of the matter. Another area that I'm, and this is all, see, it's a, cl- it's a little cluster of, of things I want to go after in 2017. I've become disgusted and intolerant of excuses. I, 
just so you know, I'm sharing out of my own walk right now. I'm not sharing, I'm not like trying to, I'm not reflecting on you guys. I'm sharing out of my own walk, okay? So this isn't me going, I've disgusted with your excuses. No, no, no. I'm talking about, I'm trying to follow the Lord, and there's a cluster of things that are formed here. One of them is, how often excuses, it's the language of losers. Losers make excuses, overcomers find solutions, and the reason why overcomers find solutions and losers make excuses is losers are looking to justify their, their current status quo, their failure, their track record, or wh- why they haven't made progress up to now. That's what, that's what, and I'm not talking about, just, just watch, just, just pay attention to your life. Anytime Jesus has called you to do and to be and to say and to, to, to love a certain way, to live a certain way, to hold a certain line, to bear fruit in a certain area... When you find excuses in your mouth, you, there's total unbelief at play. Every time. And the excuses usually push the burden from your responsibility as a, as a follower of Jesus to what other people did. So now the weakness around you is the excuse for the weakness in you. Do you understand what I'm saying? Which is broken logic because Jesus was, cru- was crucified by people who hated him and he loved them and he never once in his entire life let weakness around him provoke weakness in him. He never let sin around him produce sin in him. He never made excuses. He found a way because he was in love. He was in love with the Father and he was in love with you and I. And he wasn't living for himself. So who are we here to serve, right? That's a really important question. I'm not here to serve me. I belong to Jesus so I serve God and I serve people. And fundamental to this thing is if he says go, I don't say no, and I don't say yeah, but, and I don't say, but here's five reasons why you're wrong. Those are all excuses. So I was in a conversation with somebody the other day, and they said, we want you to grow in this area of your life. And I said, well, that's interesting, because I also want to grow in that area of my life. So you want me to grow in the same place I've been praying to grow for 18 years or whatever, since I've been saved. And this is what I heard come out of my mouth. Are you ready? Well, I've been praying for this many years, and I still haven't made progress up to now, so, I mean, don't expect me to be very, make much progress quick if I've been trying this whole, as soon as I heard myself say, you know what what I thought? Oh, that's just straight unbelief. Where my experience now becomes the ceiling and the word of God becomes null and void. We do, that, we do that way too much, where our lack of results up to now become our ceiling of expectations so the word becomes irrelevant and powerless in our life because it's according to your faith that it will actually be done. Isn't that amazing? Like, and that's, that's not just me, guys. I think that's, that's a pervasive thing. I have never found freedom in that area. I prayed and fasted and spent money on it. Therefore, it's not going to happen. But provision's already there in the gospel. The finished work of Jesus is sufficient. If the guilt is canceled, the power is available for the power of the sin in your life to be absolutely null and void. I mean, we quote it a lot, Romans 8. We quote it a lot. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus, but we forget the rest. Because it's through the, spirit, through the principle of the spirit of life where God did what the, what the flesh and the law were powerless to do. That God, the Holy Spirit, empowers us to become love in the flesh. Whereas law plus human effort failed every time. 
So we go, oh yeah, we just like the first verse about no condemnation, but we ignore the fact that what he's saying is there's no condemnation for those who are no longer living according to the flesh. Just look it up. Spend some time in it. Romans 8. And so if we're saying, here's why I can't do what Jesus called me to do, ah, so there's this little cluster of, of beliefs that I'm, that, I'm, that, I'm, that I'm working on. I want to I I make the root good so that the fruit will be good. So this issue in my life where I want greater faithfulness, and I know that rules aren't the answer. Scripture is abundantly clear about that. Colossians 2 is abundantly clear about that. Harsh treatment of the body, lots of rules, lots of fastings, lots of lots, just discipline, 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 promises to change you, but actually doesn't. It roots you more deeply in your human self-effort. But grace does change you. And, and it doesn't change you without discipline, but it's what are you disciplined into? You're disciplining yourself to come swim in this ocean of grace. So what I want to do is I want to commune with the affection of Abba this year in a deep, deep way, trusting that that's God's way to change me. Trusting that if that's that's real on the inside, then that will be fruited on the outside, rather than simply focusing on the externals. You with me? Going back to excuses for a moment, I, I, I like to say that people who are in love, like, let's talk about this. I don't have time to develop that kind of intimacy with the Lord, might be an excuse. I've tried in the past and it didn't work. I try to read my Bible, but it's boring. I try to pray, but I get distracted. I like to think of the metaphor of my relationship with my wife when we were first dating. You could not stop me and Carrie from communicating. Now, this was back in the days when we had to buy prepaid, long distance. You ever heard of this? Long, the young ones in the crowd are like, long what? Long distance calling card things where you bought minutes. And my college had... Quest, some sort of fiber optic thing they were all excited about. I could, Carl, if, you, if I could bother you for a, a water, that would be somewhat helpful. Did you see what I did there? I'm monitoring my language carefully. I'll be real with y'all. The area where I really want to grow in this year is my language. There, I said it. I'm a little embarrassed, but I said it out loud to you. When I was talk, when, when Carrie and I were in college and we were first dating, you couldn't stop us from talking. We would exhaust the hours on our, our little cards and then we would switch to, there's this, oh, I don't know if you remember, America Online, have you ever heard of this thing? Thanks, Carl. <laughs> AOL Instant Messenger. And I would stay up, Carrie and I would stay up messaging each other till three in the morning and I had an eight o'clock class. You know what I mean? Three in the morning, ping, and you're like, go to bed, that's so undisciplined. No, actually, that's extremely disciplined. Because love is more disciplined than anything. Discipline will never be as disciplined as love is. Because love finds a way. That's what it does. 
And when you say, I just don't have time, I don't have time for community, I don't have time for the Lord, I don't have time for prayer, I don't have time to serve others, I don't have time for this, I don't have time for that, people who are in love do not say such things. So if you say such things, you probably don't love that thing. (laughs) No, it may be that you're not called to that thing, whatever that thing is. And that's where your excuses are coming from. You're not called to it. You're not interested in it. And and it's just human guilt trying to motivate. Maybe. But the thing you are called to, you won't always want to do until your heart's been cultivated. And we cultivate our hearts. We cultivate the soil of our hearts. Jesus said, where your treasure is, you know, there your heart. He didn't say where your heart is, there will your treasure be. He said, where your treasure is, there will... So it's not that we're powerless victims, so we can't use the lame thing that some people... I'm going to unplug this so it doesn't get killed. You can't use this. Have you ever... Somebody has an affair, and then they go, the heart wants what it wants. Was that Woody Allen? I don't know. That's not slander Woody Allen if we don't know he actually said that. Somebody said, the heart wants what it wants. That is so lame. The heart wants what you have cultivated your heart to want because as, as you prioritize your time, your talent, and your treasure, your affections will follow that. And it's also true that love will, will invest. So it's like a, it should be a spiral of holy first love where discipline and passion go hand in hand, building this track record and this investment so that affection and self control are working together to build something stable and emotionally engaged. People who are in love don't say such things. Love finds a way. So as I, as I started to, to look through the New Testament at all these passages, again, I want to grow in my area of my use of speech. No exaggeration, no coarse joking, uh, no, anything filthy I want gone, uh, expressions of anger that are uh, uh, not edifying to my family or anyone else, I want them gone. Any gossip I want, I want out. Anything, anything, anything less than pure love, I want gone, right? So I looked at all the passages in the New Testament regarding speech and language. And it would have been really easy for me to cherry pick those passages out of context and just sort of form this very legalistic approach to how I'm going to get this thing tamped down. You know, like mow these, I'm going to mow these weeds with such regularity that no one will ever notice that their weeds are there. You know, there's so much clover, but from a distance, if you just kind of unfocus the picture, it looks great. But, but one of the first passages that I came to that really, really stuck out to me was Matthew 12. And I'd like you guys to turn there, please. Matthew chapter 12 it's kind of an intense context. Jesus has just uh, <laughs> been accused of doing, doing his ministry by, the holy, uh, by a demon. So his accusers are, are calling what is God, actually. They're calling it Satan. And that's where we get the famous passage where Jesus says that the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. But then he says something really helpful for my own purposes near the end of chapter 12, starting in verse 33. So I'm going to read this to you. Matthew 12, 33. 
A tree is identified by its fruit. So far, so good? It's got apples on it, it's a... All right. It's got walnuts on it. Do you guys like walnuts? They kind of have a weird... Black walnuts have like almost a detergent quality to them. Anyway. Palm tree? Oh, pecan tree. That's... Okay. A tree is identified by its fruit. If a tree is good, its fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. You brood of snakes, how could evil men like you speak what is good and right? For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. And I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. The words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. This is the word of the Lord. Now, you've you've heard me say so many times that Jesus is a genius and he has the most penetrating analysis of the human heart of anyone in history. And here again, he doesn't simply say you shouldn't say that. He doesn't just say to his critics, I wish you wouldn't say such things. Please stop talking that way. What he actually says is you can't help but talk that way based on who you are. So for you to speak differently means you would have to be different at the heart level. And there's two different words here that I I looked up in the Greek. And the first one is it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. And the word abundance is parasumotos, doesn't matter. It just means the overflow, that your words are a byproduct, not a product. The real action is underneath the words. So if you want to transform the word, you got to transform the real thing. Good. Oh, that's helpful, Lord. Say more, Lord. Then he says, the good person out of the treasury of a good heart brings forth good things, right? Then the evil person out of the treasury of an evil heart brings forth evil things. And I'm like, okay, now I'm on it. Now I'm on the hunt. This is the kind of stuff that gets me excited as I'm reading the Bible. Because I'm like, treasury, that's a fascinating term. That's a storeroom for precious things. A storeroom for things someone deemed precious. Like when it says Mary treasured up these things in her heart and thought about them often. Storeroom, treasury. Like, like the many times Jesus uses this word, which is thesaurus, like we're from where we get the word thesaurus, Like the many times Jesus uses this Greek word, he'll say something like this. You're almost there. You've almost reached the kingdom. If you'll just sell your stuff and give money to the poor, you'll have a storehouse in heaven. What's he saying? His same old principle that where your treasure is, your heart follows. So, so he's saying, okay, here's these three levels. There's your words, and then there's your heart, and then there's your tre- what you treasure, your treasury. You follow me? So it's not, again, it's not as simple as passively making the excuse, I was around this my whole life. That was mine. No. We have the capacity to choose. We have the capacity to say yes to Jesus and no to other things so many times that what we value becomes a part of us. Because what we value is already a part of us. And that's what we, 
the fruit we're bearing is a byproduct of what we're already valuing actively, with valuing being a, a verb. You with me? You say, yeah, but this sounds like a, a message that, that I want the gospel. I know, me too. This is what I'm talking about. This is why my thing is let's, I want to commune with the love of God. Amen. I want to commune with the finished work of Jesus. I don't want to commune with a self-help project. And I don't want to, like, say, it's so easy for me. Like, okay, so I'm a pastor, so a lot of my thought is, is directed towards how can we better serve the church? How can we help, help people better? How can we improve this? How can we change the structures to, to better meet needs and all this? I can become paralyzed thinking about human problems and how I can help find solutions to them. When the greatest need and the whole point of ministry is to root people not in a set of of solutions to human problems that humans made up. No, the greatest need is for each of us to be rooted in God's already solution of Jesus crucified, raised, reigning, and returning. There's a finished work of reconciling grace. It's already done. We enter into it. We drink deeply of it. We abide in it. And that's the answer from which we live. That's the upside down place where our roots are in heaven and our fruit is on earth. This, so there's discipline involved. The discipline is called abide. But if we'll abide in this place of free, unearned, unearnable grace, the finished affection, I'm already loved, I'm already pleasing, then I'll find that bearing this fruit in my life. Now, excuses abound. And, 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 and cynicism creeps in to where if we try a little and fail a little, it's easy to back off a little more. And then we back off a little more and say we believe, but we're not rooted in. And eventually we really can drift into becoming a church with good, sound doctrine and very little joy. Good, sound, like I'm just, good, sound doctrine but not an abiding sense of purpose when we wake up in the morning. I recently came across somebody dividing sort of like the, the, the three parts of the Trinity. I think it was in a, a Sozo manual where they were talking about knowing Jesus intimately. There's a compa- the fruit of that is that there's a sense of companionship. There's a sense of being partnered and brothered with Jesus. Knowing the Holy Spirit intimately, there's a sense of comfort and instruction that abounds. Knowing the Father intimately, there's a sense of identity and purpose that is the byproduct. And I was like, oh, the, the, the far and away most, pa- the, the root of most people who have addictions is a broken sense of identity and purpose. My life has no value. I'm not, I don't know why I'm here and I don't know why anyone would love me and I don't really know who I am and this at least makes me feel better. And I've said for years, if you understand the nature of addiction, you understand the nature of all sin. Which is why if you understand what is working with AA, you understand some deep gospel principles. That growth happens best in an environment of acceptance and honesty and bringing everything into the light. Okay. But where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Matthew 6.21 what, what Jesus says to the Ephesian church in the first few chapters of the book of Revelation, 
Do you remember? It's the church that he's like, you guys are, you, your doctrine is right. You're diligent. You expose false teachers. Like you're generous. You're doing so much well, Ephesian church. Great job. But this one thing I have against you, and you all know what it is. You've lost your first love. This is so interesting to me because what he says then is not, well, the heart wants what it wants. You can never go back, so it's just the way of the world. When you're, when you're born again, you have all this idealism and you want to change the world, but then you get hurt, and lonely, and cynical, and that's all there is to it. You know, Poor kids, they'll learn after life drop kicks the hope right out of them. I'm waiting for you here on the bench when you get tired of running there, buddy. Nonsense, right? What does Jesus say? You've lost your first love. Repent and do the things you did at first. Well, hold on here, Jesus. I thought there was a finished work. There is. You used to put yourself in a place of reveling in it. You used to put yourself in a place of drinking deeply of it. You used to go after it. You used to dig down deep and put your roots down deep into that love and that unearned favor and used to... You used to, like a newborn baby, you used to cry out for pure spiritual milk until you grew up into meat. And then when you found meat, you went hunting for meat. See, babies just let the milk come. But adults go after the meat. And for, for us, I don't know if there are any grunting sort of, you guys remember Promise Keepers? One of the things that maybe was a little over the top was sort of the, was the machismo grunting thing, you know, the Tim the Toolman Taylor thing that, that, that pervaded. The, I loved it. I'm just going to be real with y'all. I loved it. Men were allowed to just be like, and that's, for men, there's a hunt we're called to go on, a hunt. And I, I just, I think it's like this. If you're on the hunt, suddenly the manual for the rifle gets relevant. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, no one's going to get you to do a tutorial, read a book about how to, you know, how far a grizzly can smell and how to, the patterns of the upwind and how many clicks down and all the, how do you set a scope and all. You ain't going to get me to read any of that stuff until my life depends on it and I'm actually trying to kill a bear. The Bible is going to be totally boring to some of us until we're on the hunt. It just doesn't, it's, this thing, this is a life meant to be lived. And once we're in the path of trying and doing, some of y'all, you're going to hate my sermons the rest of your life. And it's not my fault or yours. It's that they're sermons. I sat around the table, tried to play a card game with my family over Christmas. My brother-in-law, Wayne, is really gifted at teaching. He did a great job explaining how to play this game. But I was my mind over matter. I was forcing myself to stay in the chair. I want just want to quit. I don't care. Let's start. I'll figure out how to beat the rest of you after we start. Ah, then you pull these two cards and what you want to do is you want to blah, blah, blah. And you're, 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 you're a bean farmer and you want to trade your beans for their beans and you get two cards for this, but you get three cards for that and then you put them on this pile. For that. I don't even know what you're saying. I couldn't make myself care if my life depended on it. Just start the game. And sure enough, as soon as they started the game, suddenly I was like, wait, hold up. What? And everything he said, I don't wish I could go back and listen to it. I don't care. Let's jump in and go. And once we're on the journey, suddenly I'm, I'm, I'm learning. I'm engaged. Some of you are that way. 
And, and you're always going to find church just a little bit off. Don't forsake the kingdom, though, is my point. I'm not offended if you're a little bored by preaching because it's preaching. But if you're on journey with Jesus, you can learn and grow. Don't, don't, don't take the bait that says, I don't love Jesus because I don't like singing time. No, it's a lie. Jesus didn't say go into all the world and sing a lot. He said make disciples, teaching them to obey. Which means what? We are called to learn to obey. Go after this. I'm really, I feel like I'm really talking to men right now. And you say, well, what does that have to do with the beard? Well, the beard is just an outward manifestation of what I'm going after. No excuses. Take responsibility for growth. Put faith in the truth. Discipline myself whether I feel like it or not. And let's grow into this thing and grow some hair as well. So this is going to be a year. It's just a silly thing. If you want to go on this journey with me, you don't have to grow the beard. But if you do, it'll be... I thought about that. I guess women grow out your armpit hair. I don't... I don't... But please continue to shave your legs. It's scratchy. Anyway, why did we go there? Let's end. The point I'm trying... What am I... What's the point I'm trying... The point I'm trying to make is there is so much growth available. There's grace available. There's life available. There's fruit available. There's hope available. And there's a finished work. And it's an incredible reality. But it's like the gift. If you don't open the gift, you don't get to see what's inside. And it's like, it's like we just heard. If you don't water the plant, it doesn't, it's not about straining and striving and making it happen of our own flesh. No, no, no. But there's a discipline of getting our heart into the flow of grace and letting grace take its toll. And here's the other part I got to say. Psalm 101, I will walk in my house with integrity of heart. I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. Garbage in, garbage out. The Lord was clear with me. You can't watch those comedians on Netflix that drop this language and that language every 12 seconds and then expect that to not take a toll, Tim. Yeah, well, I'm not the one saying it. No, but you're, you're, Philippians talks about whatever's pure, whatever's worthwhile, whatever's noble, whatever, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Well, you don't have to be a genius to know that choosing to think about those things might include not intentionally drinking deeply of those things. <laughs> might. Oh, this is legalism, Tim. No, no. There's no rule. There's no authority in my life like saying, if you don't do this, no. This is, I want to know Jesus better. I want to represent him better. I want my words to match his words better. Those who speak must speak as though speaking the very words of God. That's like a big deal. And that doesn't just apply to me, I don't think. Pretty sure it applies to all of us, right? Are we okay? All right. Is it hot in here or is it my flannel shirt that I got for Christmas? It's so soft. It's one of those Carrie moments. She's getting the same shirt for Charles in a small. And I said, that's a nice shirt. We'll get it for you. No, don't do that. But what I meant was, thank you. (laughs) The reality we're rooted in will always be the reality we manifest outwardly in fruit. So if my fruit's bad, I need more than just discipline. I need grace. I need... Create in me a new heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. 
I want much more than just changed outward behavior. All right, go ahead and stand. Oh, by the way, we're having a baptism downstairs. Gloria Bontrager is getting baptized. Very exciting. And I didn't know we got a new water heater, so... Anyway, um, moving right along. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that Jesus has made the way. He's made the way home. We are no longer your enemies. We are your friends. We aren't just your friends. We're your children. Not just children, but children who sit on your lap. Children who are trained by you, taught by you, disciplined by you, loved by you, provided for by you, kept by you, pursued by you, brought back home by you, forgiven by you time and again, picked up when we fall time and again, connected with other parts of the body that you have just so that we could grow and learn more. We are, we, we are designed by you unique. You have a calling on our life. You have, put a, you, have a, you have a distribution of grace you want to give to the world through us. You've made us a gift to the world the way you made your son a gift to the world. We are grateful. God, we ask that 2017 be a year where we grow, where we manifest truth, where we shine like the stars, just like you said we can. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go in peace.